0: CHAPTER FOUR OF THE ROOTS OF THE MOUNTAINS BY WILLIAM MORRIS. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FACE OF GOD Fareth TO THE WOOD AGAIN. WHEN IT WAS THE EARLIEST MORNING, AND DAWN WAS BUT JUST BEGINNING, FACE OF GOD AWOKE, AND ROSE UP FROM HIS BED, AND CAME FORTH INTO THE HALL, NAKED IN HIS SHIRT, AND STOOD BY THE HEARTH, WHEREIN THE PILED-UP EMBERS WERE YET RED and looked about, and could see nothing stirring in the dimness. Then he fetched water, and washed the night-tide off him, and clad himself in haste, and was even as he was yesterday, save that he left his bow and quiver in their place, and took instead a short casting-spear. Moreover he took a leathern scrip, and went therewith to the buttery, and set therein bread and flesh, and a little gilded beaker and all this he did with but little noise, for he would not be questioned, lest he should have to answer himself as well as others. Thus he went quietly out of doors, for the door was but latched, since no bolts or bars or locks were used in Bergstead, and through the town gate, which stood open, save when rumours of war were about. He turned his face straight towards Wildlake's Way, walking briskly, but at whiles looking back over his shoulder toward the east, to note what way was made by the dawning, and how the sky lightened above the mountain passes. By then he was come to the place where the maiden ward was held in the summer. The dawn was so far forward, that all things had their due colours, and were clear to see in the shadowless day. It was a bright morning, with an easterly air stirring, that drave away the haze, and dried the meadows which had otherwise been rimy, for it was cold. Goldmain lingered on the place a little, and his eyes fell on the road, as dusty yet, as in Reedsman's song. For the autumn had been very dry, and the strip of green that edged the outside of the way was worn and dusty also. On the edge of it, half in the dusty road, half on the worn grass, was a long twine of briony, red-buried, and black-leaved and right in the midst of the road were two twigs of great-leaved sturdy pollard oak, as though they had been thrown aside there yesterday by women or children a-sporting, and the deep white dust yet held the marks of feet, some bare, some shod, crossing each other here and there. Face of God smiled as he passed on, as a man with a happy thought, for his mind showed him a picture of the bride as she would be leading the maiden ward next summer, and singing first among the singers, and he saw her as clearly as he had often seen her, verily, and before him was the fashion of her hands and all her body, and the little mark on her right wrist, and the place where her arm whitened, because the sleeve guarded it against the sun, which had long been pleasant to him and the little hollow in her chin, and the lock of red-brown hair waving in the wind above her brow, and shining in the sun, as brightly as the alderman's cunningest work of golden wire. Soft and sweet seemed that picture, till he almost seemed to hear her sweet voice calling to him, and desire of her so took hold of the youth that it stirred him up to go swiftlier, as he strode on, the day brightening behind him. Now it was nigh sunrise, and he began to meet folk on the way, though not many, since for most their way lay afield and not towards the burg. The first was a woodlander, tall and gaunt, striding beside his ass, whose panniers were laden with charcoal. The Carl's daughter, a little maiden of seven winters, was riding on the ass's back betwixt the panniers, and prattling to herself in the cold morning for she was pleased with the clear light in the east, and the smooth wide turf of the meadows, as one who had not often been far from the shadow of the heavy trees of the wood, and their dark wall round about the clearing where they dwelt. Face of God gave the twain the seal of the day in merry fashion, as he passed them by, and the sober dark-faced man nodded to him, but spake no word, and the child stayed her prattle, to watch him as he went by. Then came the sound of the rattle of wheels, and as he doubled an angle of the rock-wall, he came upon a wain drawn by four dun kine, wherein lay a young woman, all muffled up against the cold with furs and cloths. Beside the yoke-beasts went her man, a well-knit, trim-faced dalesman, clad bravely in holiday raiment, girt with a goodly sword, bearing a bright steel helm on his head, in his hand a long spear with a gay red and white shaft, done about with copper bands. He looked merry and proud of his wainload, and the woman was smiling kindly on him from out of her scarlet and fur. But now she turned a weary happy face on Goldmane, for they knew him, as did all men of the dale. So he stopped when they met, for the good man had already stayed his slow beasts, and the good wife had risen a little on her cushions to greet him, yet slowly, and but a little, for she was great with child and not far from her time. That knew gold-mane well, and what was toward, and why the good man wore his fine clothes, and why the wain was decked with oak-boughs, and the yoke-beasts with their best gilded bells, and copper-adorned harness. For it was a custom with many of the kindreds, that the good wife should fare to her father's house, to lie in with her first babe. And the day of her coming home, was made a great feast in the house. So then, face of God cried out, Hail to thee, O Warcliffe. Shrewd is the wind this morning, and thou dost well to heed it carefully, this thine orchard, this thy garden, this thy fair apple-tree. To a good hall thou wendest, and the wine of increase shall be sweet there this even. Then smiled Warcliffe all across his face, and the good wife hung her head and reddened. Said the good man, "'Wilt thou not be with us, son of the alderman, as surely as thy father shall be?' "'Nay,' said Face of God, though I were fain of it, my own matters carry me away.' "'What matters?' said Warcliffe. Perchance thou art for the cities this autumn?' Face of God answered somewhat stiffly, "'Nay, I am not,' and then more kindly and smiling, All roads lead not down to the plain friend. What road then farest thou away from us? said the good wife. The way of my will, he answered. And what way is that? said she. Take heed, lest I get a longing to know. For then must thou needs tell me, or deal with the carl there beside thee. Nay, good wife, said face of God, let not that longing take thee. For on that matter I am even as wise as thou. Now good speed to thee and to the newcomer. Therewith he went close up to the wain and reached out his hand to her and she gave him hers and he kissed it and so went his ways smiling kindly on them then the karl cried to his kine and they bent down their heads to the yoke and presently as he walked on he heard the rumble of the wain mingling with the tinkling of their bells which in a little while became measured and musical and sounded above the creaking of the axles and the rattle of the gear and the roll of the great wheels over the road, and so it grew thinner and thinner, till it all died away behind him. He was now come to where the river turned away from the sheer rock wall, which was not so high there as in most other places, as there had been in old time long screes from the cliff, which had now grown together with the waxing of herbs and the washing down of the earth on them, and made a steady slope of low hill going down riverward. Over this the road lifted itself above the level of the meadows, keeping a little way from the cliffs, while on the other side its bank was somewhat broken and steep here and there. As face of God came up to one of those broken places, the sun rose over the eastern pass, and the meadows grew golden with its long beams. He lingered and looked back under his hand, and as he did so, heard the voices and laughter of women coming up from the slope below him, and presently a young woman came struggling up the broken bank, with hand and knee, and cast herself down on the roadside turf, laughing and panting. She was a long-limbed, light-made woman, dark-faced and black-haired. Amidst her laughter she looked up and saw Goldmane, who had stopped at once when he saw her, she held out her hands to him, and said lightly, though her face flushed withal, "'Come hither thou, and help the others to climb the bank, for they are well beaten in the race, and now must they do after my will. That was the forfeit.' He went up to her, and took her hands, and kissed them, as was the custom of the dale, and said, "'Hail to thee, coat. Who be they, and whither away this morning early?' She looked hard at him, and fondly belike, as she answered slowly, They be the two maidens of my father's house, whom thou knowest, and our errand, all three of us, is to Bergsted, to the feast of the wine of increase, which shall be drunk this even. As she spake, came another woman half up the bank, to whom went face of God, and taking her hands, drew her up, while she laughed merrily in his face. He saluted her, as he had long coat, and then with a laugh, "'turned about to wait for the third, "'who came indeed, but after a little while, "'for she had abided, hearing their voices. "'Her also gold-mane drew up, and kissed her hands, "'and she lay on the grass by long coat. "'but the second maiden stood up beside the young man. "'She was white-skinned and golden-haired, "'a very fair damsel, whereas the last-comer "'was but comely, as were well-nigh "'all the women of the dale.' Said Face-of-god looking on the three, How comes it maidens that ye are but in your kirtles this sharp autumn morning, And where have ye left your gowns or your cloaks? for indeed they were clad but in close-fitting blue kirtles of fine wool embroidered about the hems with gold and coloured threads. the last-comer laughed and said, What ails thee, Gold mane, to be so careful of us as if thou wert our mother or our nurse? Yet if thou must needs know, there hang our gowns on the thorn-bush down yonder, for we have been running a match and a forfeit, to wit, that she who was the last on the highway should go down again and bring them up all three. And now that is my day's work, but since thou art here, alderman's son, thou shalt go down instead of me and fetch them up. But he laughed merrily and outright, and said, That will I not, for there be but twenty-four hours in the day and what, between eating and drinking and talking to fair maidens, I have enough to do in every one of them. Wastefully ye women, and simple as your forfeit. Now will I, who am the alderman's son, give forth a doom, and will ordain that one of you fetch up the gowns yourselves, and that Longcoat will be the one, for she is the fleetest footed, and ablest thereto. Will ye take my doom? For later on I shall not be wiser. Yes, said the fair woman, not because thou art the alderman's son, but because thou art the fairest man of the dale, and mayst bid us poor souls what thou wilt. Face of God reddened at her words, and the speaker and the last comer laughed, but Longcoat held her peace. She cast one very sober look on him, and then ran lightly down the bent. He drew near the edge of it, and watched her going, for her light foot slimness was fair to look on. And he noted, that when she was nigh the thorn-bush whereon hung the bright broidered gowns, and deemed belike that she was not seen, she kissed both her hands where he had kissed them erst. Thereat he drew her back, and turned away shyly, scarce looking at the other twain who smiled on him with somewhat jeering looks, but he bade them farewell, and departed speedily. And if they spoke, it was but softly, for he heard their voices no more he went on under the sunlight which was now gilding the outstanding stones of the cliffs, and still his mind was set upon the bride, and his meeting with the mother of the yet unborn baby, and with the three women with their freshness and fairness, did somehow turn his thoughts the more upon her, since she was the woman who was to be his amongst all women, for she was far fairer than any one of them, and through all manner of life, and through all kinds of deeds would he be with her, and no more of her fairness and kindness than any other could, and him seemed he could see pictures of her, and of him amidst all these deeds and ways. Now he went very swiftly, for he was eager, though he knew not for what, and he thought but little of the things on which his eyes fell. He met none else on the road till he was come to Wild Lake's Way, "'though he saw folk enough down in the meadows. "'He was soon amidst the first of the trees, "'and without making any stay, "'set his face east and somewhat north, "'that is, toward the slopes "'that led to the great mountains. "'He said to himself aloud, "'as he wended the wood, "'Strange, yester even I thought much of the wood, "'and I set my mind on not going thither, "'and this morning I thought nothing of it, and here I am amidst its trees, and wending towards its innermost. His way was easy at first, because the wood for a little space was all of beech, so that there was no undergrowth, and he went lightly betwixt the tall grey and smooth boles. albeit his heart was not so gay as it was in the dale amidst the sunshine. After a while the beech-wood grew thinner, and at last gave out altogether, and he came into a space of rough, broken ground, with naught but a few scrubby oaks and thorn-bushes growing thereon, here and there. The sun was high in the heavens now, and shone brightly down on the waste, though there were a few white clouds high up above him. The rabbit scuttled out of the grass before him, here and there he turned aside from a stone on which lay coiled an adder sunning itself. Now and again Both heart and hind bounded away from before him, or a sounder of wild swine ran grunting away toward closer covert. But nought did he see but the common sights and sounds of the woodland. Nor did he look for aught else, for he knew this part of the woodland indifferent well. He held on over this treeless waste for an hour or more. When the ground began to be less rugged, and he came upon trees again, but thinly scattered, oak and ash and hornbeam not right great, with thickets of holly and blackthorn between them. The set of the ground was still steadily up to the east and north-east, and he followed it as one who wendeth an assured way. At last before him seemed to rise a wall of trees and thicket, but when he drew near to it, lo, an opening in a certain place, and a little path as if men were wont to thread the tangle of the wood thereby though hitherto he had noted no slot of men, nor any sign of them, since he had plunged into the deep of the beech-wood. He took the path as one who needs must, and went his ways as it led. In sooth it was well-nigh blind, but he was a deft woodsman, and by means of it skirted many a close thicket that had otherwise stayed him. So on he went, and though the boughs were close enough overhead, and the sun came through but in flecks. He judged that it was growing weary towards noon, and he wotted well that he was growing a-weary, for he had been long afoot, and the more part of the time on a rough way, or breasting a slope which was at while steep enough. At last the track led him, skirting about an exceeding close thicket into a small clearing, through which ran a little woodland rill, amidst rushes and dead leaves. There was a low mound near the eastern side of this wood-lawn, as though there had once been a dwelling of man there, but no other sign or slot of man was there. So face of God made stay in that place, casting himself down beside the rill to rest him, and eat and drink somewhat. Whatever thoughts had been with him through the wood, and they had been many, concerning his house and his name, and his father and the journey he might make to the cities of the Westland, and what was to befall him when he was wedded, and what war or trouble should be on his hands, all this was now mingled together, and confused by this rest amidst his weariness. He laid down his scrip and drew his meat from it, and ate what he would, and dipping his gilded beaker into the brook, drank water smacking of the damp musty savour of the woodland and then his head sank back on a little mound in the short turf and he fell asleep at once a long dream he had in short space and therein were blent his thoughts of the morning with the deeds of yesterday and other matters long forgotten in his waking hours came back to his slumber in unordered confusion all which made up for him pictures clear but of little meaning, save that as oft befalls in dreams, whatever he was a-doing, he felt himself belated. When he awoke, smiling at something strange in his gone-by dream, he looked up to the heavens, thinking to see signs of the even at hand, for he seemed to have been dreaming so long. The sky was thinly overcast by now, but by his wonted woodcraft, he knew the whereabouts of the sun, and that it was scant an hour after noon. He sat there till he was wholly awake, and then drank once more of the woodland water, and he said to himself, but out loud, for he was fain of the sound of a man's voice, though it were but his own, What is mine errand hither? Whither wend I? What shall I have done to-morrow that I have hitherto left undone? Or what manner of man shall I be then, other than I am now? Yet though he said the words, he failed to think the thought, or it left him in a moment of time, and he thought but of the bride and her kindness. Yet that abode with him but a moment, and again he saw himself and those two women on the highway edge, and Longcoat, lingering on the slope below, kissing his kisses on her hands, and he was sorry that she desired him overmuch, for she was a fair woman and a friendly, but all that also flowed from him at once, and he had no thought in him, but that he also desired something that he lacked. And this was a burden to him, and he rose up frowning, and said to himself, Am I become a mere sport of dreams, whether I sleep or wake? I will go backward or forward, but will think no more. Then he ordered his gear again, and took the path onward and upward, toward the great mountains, and the track was even fainter than before for a while, so that he had to seek his way diligently. End of chapter 4